mindfulness mode. The very highest quality, best company that we can find, and in some cases, afford. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, and very happy to tell you that I have another wonderful guest with me today. And this guest has written a book called Getting to Great. And I really recommend this book. It's been a fun read. I've really enjoyed all of the strategies. And in fact, the subtitle is called Five Step Strategy for Work and Life Based on Science and stories and I was just telling her how much I appreciate the stories in here because that really makes the book come alive. My guest is a Harvard trained licensed psychotherapist and she's a board certified executive career and life coach with an MBA and she has done a lot of fascinating things and she's uh, trained a lot of different people including the Harvard Law School Association, International Association of business communicators and the National Association of Realtors and so many more. But we're going to get started with the interview. I'm here with Madeleine Weiss. Madeleine, it's great to have you here. Are you in mindfulness mode today? I like to think that is my way <laughs> in general. Well, and I think it is from what I know about you. What does mindfulness mean to you? What words would you share with us about that meaning? Well, I know the classic definition yeah. from John Kabat-Zinn, who trained me, and I would love to tell you what a hoot that was. But his definition is paying attention on purpose in a particular way in the present moment without judgment, not necessarily in that order, but I think, I think I got it all in there. For me, it's a way of life. For me, it's a way of being in the world. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of receiving the world. So it is for me less a particular practice that takes a certain number of minutes, then it is just a way. And thank you for asking so I could clarify that for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, your book, Getting to Great, mm -hmm. I, I already mentioned, I really appreciated it. The G stands for grounding. So yeah. tell us about grounding in your life and how you get grounded and and how that really changes you. Mm. I believe I am an introvert. So the way I understand the difference and jump in here, Bruce, if you want to add or subtract from what I'm saying. I think the way I understand the difference is that extroverts get grounded um, with the assist of the energy from outside of themselves and that introverts get grounded by kind of stepping back and retreating into some solitude till their feeling reset. I do that. I do that. Yeah, I definitely agree with your description. Is that? 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I get grounded by myself, although I'm being careful there because I have lots of support and a lot of um, forces within me that are all part of that. So no man is an island and I'm not either, but I do need to retreat into some solitude in order to feel grounded. So tell me what led up to the decision you made to write this book. Um, by the way, that's not exactly what I mean by grounded necessarily in the book. So okay. let me say something about that, okay? Yeah. The grounding in the five-step process, when people come to me, they don't usually say, I would like to work with you to have a great life. They don't even necessarily at, at that point in their own lives uh, believe that that's even necessarily possible. So what I do, since I know that is possible, is I hold that space till they can get grounded themselves in the belief that a great life is possible and that they have everything they need to get them there. Uh. So that's so it's it's sort of a grounding in that standing that they don't necessarily come with. So I hold that for them until they can grab it and run with it themselves. Um, one day, to your question, like what prompted the writing of, one day I said to myself, these people are doing really great. What is it that's working here? Because they're all so different, one from the other in age and ethnicity and occupation and you name it. And also my background and training is so varied that there's no telling what I'm pulling out of the toolkit at any given time. So what's working here? And I actually literally laid out all my folders, all my cases and pondered what's the common denominator? What do they all have in common? And came up with this process or five-step strategy that no matter who who they were and no matter what I was doing, they all went through to get from where they were when I met them to where they arrived through that process. Well, you've changed their names in the book, but other than that, the, the details and the information is all as you learned it. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because that really makes this book so fascinating. Well, let's talk about the R, which stands for recognizing. Tell us what that means. Right. So the first line of the book is a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. Clearly, I didn't make that up. I made up that wording. That's my sentence. But we know that from... Darwin, right? Okay, that the world belongs to those who are best adapted to the environments in which they are living. Now, we didn't used to be able to pick those environments. We didn't used to be able to create those environments. But actually, more than it feels like sometimes, we can. So if a great life depends on a great fit between who we are 
and the environment. We have to recognize or for recognize who we are. And it's not necessarily who someone else said we should be. It's, it's not even like necessarily who we always thought we should be. But some sort of deeper essence of meaning, values, interests, purpose, all those kinds of things that really make up who we are, which people don't necessarily know about as well as they might. So we get to learn all of that about an individual and the R is for recognizing that in a way that it may have never been recognized before. So. You've included quite a few exercises in the book. Is there an exercise that pops into your head that you use almost every day that you really value? I thought you were going to ask me what my favorite is, and I do have a favorite. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, Stephen Porges' polyvagal breathing is, I swear by that. And I teach that to everyone who will let me. And if it's in the book, it probably goes by power breathing. Mm -hmm. And it's on my website. And people can get it for free if you go to MadelineWeiss.com. There's a little tab that says power breathing. And if you click that, you, people can get a download. But my favorite is there's a chapter on money. Okay. So there's an exercise at the end of every chapter. Yeah. But that one always brings a smile to my face. The one, the exercise on money. It's... Um, being on a talk show, like, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who does the relationships and I get that. Uh, Dr. Phil? Yes, thank you. Yeah, right, okay. I actually have a slide on Dr. Phil for this exercise. And in one of the chairs is this, uh, has a human body, but the head is a dollar sign. Okay. And, yeah. And the idea is to have a conversation with your money about what it's like to be in a relationship with you. And even though it's funny, I well, you could say I think it's funny, it's really powerful. Yeah. Because my money said to me, you don't enjoy me. Mm. It said, you just let me sit there. You don't pay attention to me. You don't spend me. You don't enjoy me. And I'm trying to be there for you. And you're not really present for me. And there was the whole thing. And I thought, that's just so true. And that was years ago. And honestly, I think it changed my life. Wow. Yeah. It kind of, um, the awareness, the mindfulness, um, primed me to uh, urge myself to move more in that direction as a right thing and a good thing to do. That saving and being frugal wasn't necessarily the only right thing and good thing to always do. And uh, yeah, so at the end of every, so I think there are 10 chapters and at the end of every 
chapter, there's an exercise like that on the whatever the life topic is. But that's that's clearly my favorite. So you've done so many trainings, so many workshops. Is there one that pops into your head that was just so much fun and it was so fulfilling that it just is always in your memory? Yeah. Well, there are obviously more than one, but there was one where I did um, mastering your mind. Uh-huh strategies for a happier, healthier, prosperous, and productive life. And I did it for a um, large, well-known law firm. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, the, uh, who was it? It was the like chief of staff type person came up to me and said, I could not believe what just happened there. She said they were hanging on every single word you said she said usually the speaker runs out of the room crying oh, wow. <laughs> she said, they're so rude she said but they they were just like enthralled i said yeah because this stuff i studied advaita vedanta pre-hindu tradition believe it or not for close to 25 years and i found the concepts so incredibly powerful I was working at Harvard Medical School at the time. And I said, okay, I can't be the only one who knows this. And I can't talk like this to anyone I know other than the people who are teaching it to me like, and the people I'm studying it with because they'll think I'm crazy. So I put it into plain English and I, talk it, I took it to um, Harvard Medical School's workplace learning and performance or something like and I said I want to do this here would you let me do this here so if I did a four-week program on mastering your mind with the pre-hindu concepts in plain English and HR told me that they had to beat them away with a stick because he said, usually there's attrition over the length of a course. In this case, people were banging down the doors to get into it because it's so much fun and it's so powerful. Things like I remember in the very early days learning, you cannot be that which you can observe or then who is doing the observing. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> You know, it's so simple, but right? Yeah, right, exactly. Like we have this sense of I, and then we look at ourselves. Well, who's doing the looking? So there's something else going on that our little pea brains can't really fathom. So this idea that we have to know and understand everything becomes a little silly. Speaking of that, could you tell us about the five whys and the sleepy, grumpy CEO? Oh, yes. Yes. So the five whys, I think, be began with Aristotle. And then a organizational development guru whose name you might remember or not, Peter Senji or Senge, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, adopted it for organizational life. Mm -hmm. And this guy 
was described, the sleepy, grumpy CEO, he was described by other people. They would say about him, he's a son of a bee, mm-hmm. but he's our son of a bee. So he was kind of gruff. Right. And when we did, so the five whys is like, why did he care that this uh, program wasn't going through as quickly as he wanted it to? And then when you ask another why, every time the person answers, you ask another why. And what we got down to with him, and by the way, with every participant, when I did that exercise at Harvard Medical School, they all said the same thing. At the root of it, and it, it was stunning that people just want to be, be seen as a good person. Uh, Even the son of a, you know what, yeah. wanted to be seen as a good person. And I saw that over and over and over again. Now, I'm a fan of evolutionary psychology. And of course, if you were held in high regard back in the day when our brains, the modern human brain was forming on the savanna or wherever that was, the environment of evolutionary adaptation, they call it. If you were held in high regard, you got fed. You got to decide who else would get fed. So you were you were taken care of and you had power that was to the benefit of yourself and your kin. And conversely, if you were held in low regard, you could be left over there to die. So reputation matters so much more than people even realize. They think they're not supposed to care about that, but that's so hard. What other people think of us, people want to not care about that, but it's so hardwired into the brain. And I found it every single time, like so deeply buried in there, people wanting people to think that they're good so so they won't die. Sometimes it feels like life and death, even though it's not. So, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yes. Well, your your acronym for great. We've talked about the grounding part, recognizing, exploring, acting, and tackling. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Okay. So after you recognize who you are. Great life depends on great fit between who you are and the environments. It's time to go exploring the environments. And people are stuck often, too often, in same old, same old, as if there's not a great big world filled with opportunities out there. And so people begin to explore um, possibilities, either maybe they never even thought of, Or they did think of it and went, nah, I can't do that, you know. And so that's what the E is for, exploring. But as William James said, action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without it. So the A is for action. 
We can't just sit in la-la land. And I see people try to do that. I see, I see people thinking that if they think a lot about um, the volunteer work, let's say, that they're going to do, that because it sort of becomes part of their self-definition that they're thinking about it. But we don't fool ourselves. And when we're not in integrity with ourselves, there's a price to pay for that. So people really have to, everybody uses the word manifest now. People really have to manifest that in some action that they can look at and see that they actually did something that is consistent, that is in alignment with what they discovered they want to pursue as a path and a purpose in their life. So that's the action. And the T is the... Ta tackling. Yeah. There are other T words we can use, and I always give my clients a choice, and I'll tell you what they are. Okay. But there's this normal, natural, inherent, predictable resistance to change that we have to contend with. Um, sometimes... You know, like Richard Schwartz's um, parts of self and having them get along. So sometimes tenderness, T for tenderness. Sometimes T for taming. Sometimes T for tackling. And that can change over time in a different person. But but we do. Did um, you know the book The Big Leap? Yes. A lot of a lot of entrepreneurs read that. Yeah. You know we get to a certain point and then we start undoing because it's too scary to go to, even though that place seems so wonderful, it's scary to go there because we were never there before. Mm -hmm. And we don't know if we have what it takes and we don't know what's going to happen in that beautiful new land. We did all this work to try to get to. And so the big leap talks about how there's like ceiling almost, a boundary that we need to penetrate, and that's normal. It's a protective mechanism, but it needs to be addressed. Yeah, right. With one of those key words or some other, some other way that somebody might be able to think of. Madeleine, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in this field for quite some time. Do you have a story you can share with us? I know you have so many stories about bullying and maybe how mindfulness would have made a difference. Yeah, I thought about that because I, I saw that that was an interest of yours. Yeah. And it prompted me to think about my own life in that regard. Right off the top... I have to say, I always thought that I was the one being bullied. Um, without going into too great of de detail, but it was coming from a variety of different sources. But I think what's more interesting and important is that a couple of years ago I had, I met up with a couple of high school friends for lunch and she pulled out the song that I wrote when I was in a high school sorority. 
and they told me that I had to write a song about so-and-so. And, you know, it was, it was supposed to be mean. And when I saw it, I was horrified. And I wanted to think that she made it up, but she didn't. It was, it was my, I don't know how she had my piece of paper with my song on it, but she did. And I read it and I thought, what a horrible person I am. Like, I didn't even, I, I am still trying to put together how that can have come from this kind person. I consider myself to be and I think I think other people do also mm-hmm. but I but I wrote that song I wrote that song and when you ask how would mindfulness have helped I'd like to think that the way our children are being guided more now than we were then that that would have been revealed as not okay. And that that I could have been mindful at least that that was not okay. Because I think what I thought is that I was pleasing everybody by doing a really great job. And my suspicion is that there was something else that was being given expression to that wasn't nice. Right. And And there was... Do you remember that person? I do. I do. She was there was she was so nice. Wow. Wow. I that know. must have been quite an experience to see that after all those years. It blows me away. Still, to this moment, to this day, it's like um cognitive dissonance, I think people call it. That I I can't put it together with what I thought about me then and what I think about me now. So I'm mindful now to like, be careful, just be careful. Cause whoever did that, did that. And she's still, she's still here. So <laughs> just to be, as a matter of fact, though, I posted today, I do a blog post every week mm-hmm. and usually it'll be something that's prompted by, something I notice either with in my clients or with myself. And um, I wrote on rudeness this week. And there are some statistics that rudeness is like worse than ever. Although I made the point that there are books that were written to help us with our poor conduct before Christ. I forget what year BC it was. And George Washington wrote one. And there's so many books that go so far back trying to help us to be kind to one another and to be civil. So it's not a new problem because Egypt was struggling with it way back then. But um, but apparently it's getting, you know, according to the statistics, even worse lately and bruce to use the word mindful i don't think people are that mindful it's gotten to the point where it seems in fact 
it was like 73% of the participants said that it wasn't unusual for people to be rude. It's like normal. Wow. <laughs> Which is... Well, okay. and yeah, it seems to me like it's increased tremendously in the last three years. Oh, you think? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What are you noticing? Well, I'm noticing a lot of angry people out there and a lot of angry people that want to blame some specific reason for their anger. So sometimes they choose something political or something yeah. within their family or they like to think that they're trapped for some reason and that's why they're angry, things like that. Yeah. I, I said to a client a couple of weeks ago, I said, wait a minute, let me see if I got this right. Are you telling me that you think other people are the problem and that's what you want to work on? And she said, well, yeah. I said, oh, I don't really think I can help you with that because I said, I don't know them. They're not here. They haven't asked for my help. Like, there's nothing that I can do about any of that. So, yeah, I mean, it was such a stunning moment. Well, she said, yeah, of course. <laughs> Other people. That is really funny. I I think I have a whole chapter in the book on other people, don't I? Yeah. 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 I think that... Tell other me people, heaven or hell, it's chapter three. Yeah. I think we have so many existential feeling crises right now. This is my theory, that we're just freaked out and getting really primal. Like primitive. Yeah, I see that out there. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of what you were describing. It's like raw, unregulated emotion for more people than it used to be. Yeah, I would more. definitely agree with that. Yeah. Madeline, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. So let's get into this. The first question is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Well, I cut my teeth on Ellen Langer, mm -hmm. who I noticed is having the 25th anniversary of her book. That was the first mindfulness book that I read. And for everyone listening, she has a new one coming out, which I haven't read yet. Uh, the date is September 5th, so it's probably on the shelves. The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. I mentioned uh, also John Kabat-Zinn. So smart, so funny. Wonderful, wonderful person to learn from and has lots of really good books, most of which I've read, but yeah, okay. Uh, let's talk about emotions. So how has mindfulness helped you deal with your emotions differently? You know, I am so even now that it scares me sometimes. So if I cry at a movie, it's like, oh, thank God I can still cry. You know, because, because it's evened out so much. I'm also old, and I heard that that happens when you're old too. So I don't know 
how much of it is mindfulness, but I know that Sarah Lazar at Mass General has done studies on this kind of thickening in the brain that happens through meditation, which is kind of like a buffer. So it doesn't mean that you don't know how you feel. It's just that it doesn't break through in a way that overwhelms you. So uh, to your question, I like to think that mindfulness help, and it's not just that I'm old, but I'm, but I'm not sure. Well, you know, it's probably a lot to do with how you've lived your life and what you've learned and how you've applied it. But anyway, my next question is about breathing, and you already shared with us information about breathing and the power of breathing exercise. And yep. is there anything else you'd like to add on the topic of breathing? I just, I think that 30-second mindset reset that is called polyvagal breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, power breathing, call it what you want, is just everybody's best friend forever because it takes, when I talk about how we get like primitive under stress um, when it's extreme, and yeah. I think it feels extreme to a lot of people right now understandably, um, we go into fight, flight, freeze, and that's in the sympathetic um, activation, the sympathetic nervous system. So just these three breaths that are taken in a very specific way, so everybody do grab that instruction. We'll tell you exactly how to do it. Just through that, it kicks it upstairs to the higher brain, in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is much more calm and focused. So you're in charge of it instead of it in charge of you, which is the goal, I think, that we're in charge of our emotions instead of them in charge of us. Yeah, totally agree. Your book, Getting to Great, I highly recommend, Mindful Tribe, Getting to Great, Five-Step Strategy for Work and Life, based on science and stories. And your website is um, madelineweiss.com, M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N-E-W-E-I-S-S. -S. So like check Sam out the website. Yep. What's that? I'm saying like Sam Sam, because for some reason a lot of people think it's FF, and I don't know why, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Right, right. So that's a website. And uh, yeah, so are there, you mentioned a number of books as we've chatted here. Are there any other books that you would like to mention on this topic of mindfulness? There's a book that changed my life. I'm not, I'm not recommending necessarily that everybody run out and read it, but I do want to tell people about it. It was called How People Change by Alan Wheelis, who was a psychoanalyst. And he's, the, the basic message was how people change is that they just do. And that is why I morphed from being a psychodynamic psychotherapist to becoming a board certified executive career and life coach, because I like the action orientation of it. Whereas people will um, sit sometimes in a therapy for decades and not really 
nothing changes. I have a lot of people come to me and tell me, but nothing changed. And it's because they didn't, they didn't do anything different. And Alan Wheelis would say how people change is you do. You do something different. Yeah. And there are people who think it almost doesn't even matter what it is, but that we step outside of our comfort zone and do something different to kick it off. Right. So I'm very appreciative of Dr. Wheelis for that. Yeah. How people change. Yes. Good recommendation. And are there any apps that you would recommend that can help in this area of mindfulness? Well, I know that there are meditation apps and I know that people like them. The reason I don't recommend them is because I like the self-reliance of being able to do a practice without any assist anywhere, anytime. So again, there are people who use them and are very happy with them, um, but it's not first on my list of recommendation because I want I want people to cultivate these on their own. So. Right, sure. Well, we'll put all this information into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And as we uh, as we approach the end of the interview, Madeline, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? Yeah. Great company. And great company is one of the concepts I learned when I was studying Advaita Vedanta pre-Hindu tradition for over 20 years, close to 25. And the idea there is it's not just the people in your life. It's the books you read, the food you eat, the movies you watch. Um, most importantly, the thoughts in your own head. And of course the people we choose to invite into our lives, the very highest quality, best company that we can find, and in some cases afford. But to be mindful of these decisions, people are making decisions all over the place that they don't even know they're making. So I like to bring that into our consciousness that we get to choose these things and that we should choose the very best. Good so. advice. And yeah. I'm so grateful that you chose to come into my life for the last 45 minutes so we could connect. Well, I'm and grateful to you too, Bruce. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. Yeah. Thank you. You take care. Bye now. You too. Bye-bye. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash TV. And you'll be able to check out all of my YouTube videos. I have YouTube shorts. I have full episodes up there. And for those of you who have already gone on and left comments and liked it and subscribed, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, that would be great if you would do that. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.